good to be with you this morning. I, I want to start with a story. As many of you know, I have two small children, a four-and-a-half-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And the oldest, Zion, is in a phase where he really likes to get the youngest in trouble for something. Maybe you can relate with your siblings or you, you, you hang around little kids. Uh, for instance, right now Zion likes to run up to me and say, I'm going to kick your butt. I don't know where, probably learned it from preschool, I don't know, some of the hoodlum kids that go there, I, who knows. But he, he runs up to me and, and says that, and, and I, I say, those aren't kind words, buddy. Let's, let's use kind words. Let's stop those. And then he proceeds to whisper, and, and by whisper, I really mean talk really loud, because he's so bad at whispering. And he also kind of spits and, like, puts your tongue, his tongue in, like, your ear while he whispers, because he doesn't quite know how to do it yet, and it's really gross, but really cute all at the same time. So he whispers in Judah's ear and says, Judah, say, I'm going to kick your butt. And then Judah, of course, does it. And this is only one example, whether it involves hitting or somehow Zion really knows I protect my shoes. I don't like to get them dirty, so he'll tell Judah, go get dad's shoes and hide them. And he just tries to get Judah in trouble. And it, it's funny, and we all get a good laugh, and in all reality, it's really quite innocent. But it does make me wonder what Zion's motivations are. He probably wants a good laugh, and he certainly thinks he's hilarious. But he, he might just want to see his brother get in trouble, or maybe he just wants to assert his older brother's status and make his brother do things. And there's really no way to know for sure what those motivations are, but they're certainly there. Whether they're good or misguided, right or wrong. And in our story, I, I wonder about Joseph's motivations as well. What are his motivations through this whole thing? Because in our text last week, he saw his brothers for the first time in a long time, and he recognized them. But they didn't recognize him. And he spoke roughly to them. He claimed they were spies. He put them all in prison and then decided to only keep Simeon in prison while the others go back to get Benjamin, the youngest, and bring him back to Egypt. What were Joseph's motivations? Was it only to test his brothers to see if they were telling the truth? Did Joseph have some insider knowledge from God to do what he did? Or did he want revenge on and power over his brothers? Were the motivations good and right or misguided and wrong? And honestly, they were probably a mixture of both. Because Joseph was human. He was human, just like you and I. <clears throat> and that's what this story, that's what this narrative, that's what this dream and reconciliation process is full of. It's full of humans in all of their beauty and in all of their brokenness. So let's enter back in where we left off last week with these people, with these humans. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up. We're going to be in Genesis 43 and 44 this morning. So at this point, Joseph's brothers have returned home from Egypt, 
and they brought grain. They had grain they could eat, and they could, they could satisfy themselves. But they also came home with the same amount of money they left with. Because if you remember, Joseph filled their sacks with money and grain, but they don't have Simeon. He's imprisoned in Egypt, and so they go to tell their father Jacob what took place and ask, can we bring Benjamin back with us? We need to go get our brother Simeon. And here's Jacob's response. This is Genesis 42, verse 26. Jacob says, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Jacob's crushed that he's lost another son. But not just that, he wonders if his other sons had something to do with it. Because they came back with grain and money, but they didn't have Simeon. I wonder if Jacob is wondering if his own sons sold their brother into slavery. The brothers are coming together, but the division with their father is widening. And Jacob's final answer is this. My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. Jacob, speaking to his ten other sons, says, I only have one son left. It's Benjamin. He's not going to go with you. Can you imagine how those ten sons felt? And he further alienates them. The reconciliation process is far from over. And so Simeon was left to die in an Egyptian prison, and Jacob and his sons carry on with their normal lives. And then the narrator picks up in the beginning of chapter 43. I'll read the first two verses for us. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. So the story picks up when Jacob and his family and his sons have run out of food. And if we're just reading our Bibles, it appears like it happens rather quickly, that they run out of the grain that they just got right away. But in all reality, it had probably been many months since they had been in Egypt. And it's only at this point that Jacob faces the reality that there's no other alternative. Benjamin must go if they're to survive. He must send his youngest favorite son to get more food. And you know what strikes me as I, as I read this story and as I engage with it? Simeon has been in jail this entire time for many months. And he probably had a wife and children at home who wanted their husband and father back. Yet Jacob refused it. And I'm sure Jacob was worried and anxious and felt pressure to go get Simeon, but he just couldn't part with his favorite son, Benjamin. And then there's Joseph back in Egypt. He had the power to let Simeon go, but he wouldn't. How did he handle the time between? What was he feeling? What were everyone's motivations for what they were doing? The story continues. 
So the brothers head back to Egypt with Benjamin, and Jacob stays back. And Joseph sees his brothers from a long way off, and he sees Benjamin. And so Joseph tells the steward of his house to go home and start preparing a meal. And so the brothers go to Joseph's home, and they're nervous. They're not sure what to expect. Will they get their brother back? What's going to happen? But the steward calms them by bringing out Simeon, releasing him to the brothers, and then they begin to prepare a meal. And then Joseph arrives, and we get this in Genesis 43, verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. It's in this moment, the first dream that Joseph had a long, long time ago has been fulfilled. All 11 brothers are bowing down, but still no parents. It's not complete. And the scene continues, verse 27. And Joseph inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Joseph's brothers bow down. Joseph realizes this is the fulfillment of the first dream, but the second one has yet to be completed. And so he asks if their father is even still alive. Is it even a possibility for this dream to take place? And he is alive. But then Joseph sees Benjamin he sees him up close and personal, and he rushes out of the room as compassion welled up inside him, and he begins to weep. This is a powerful moment, because Benjamin is Joseph's only full brother. They have the same mom, Rachel. And the tragedy is that Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. And so when Joseph sees Benjamin, there's all sorts of emotions. As he sees Benjamin, he also sees his mother, right? He experiences the joy of Benjamin's birth and the sorrow of his mom's death at the same time. And he cannot contain himself. His heart is softening, and he gets out of there and begins to weep. Joseph's public harshness is quite different than his private gentleness. I've heard that it's said, or I've read somewhere, that tears are soft crying, and anger is hard crying. They both come from a place of hurt. And Joseph is moving between the two, as I'm sure many of us in this room do as well. Joseph was human. He experienced all sorts of emotion. 
And as I read this story, it would make sense for me that, okay, Joseph, his heart is softening. It's time for him to reveal himself to his brothers. It's time for him to come out and see this reconciliation process over. We all want a happy ending. That's what should happen right now. But it doesn't. And Joseph collects himself, and then he begins to test his brothers once again. They all sit down to eat, and Joseph begins to pass out the food and drink, and he serves Benjamin five times the amount of food and drink than he does his other brothers. Joseph wanted to test them. They, he wanted to see if his preferential treatment of Benja Benjamin stirs them up to hatred and jealousy, just as it did years ago with him. And the testing continues. In chapter 44, Then Joseph commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain, and he did as Joseph told him. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city, and now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. So Joseph frames his brother Benjamin to make it look like he's a thief. And the brothers leave Egypt, and they're unaware that anything is going on. And so the steward goes after them. And it's revealed that Benjamin stole the cup. The sentence is death. The other brothers can go free. But Benjamin must go back. But they all decide to return back to Egypt. And they get there and Joseph accuses them. And then Judah begins to beg for mercy and Joseph makes known that only Benjamin will be charged. Do you see what Joseph is doing? He wants to see how his brothers respond. Will they forsake Benjamin just like they did Joseph all those years ago? And it's at this point in the story that we get the longest speech in the book of Genesis. I would love to read it for you because it is powerful, but it is a little too long. So I encourage you, read it this week. But, it, but Judah gives a speech, and this is how he starts. He says, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. And then Judah goes on this long speech. And the theme of Judah's speech is Joseph's father. And the effect of that losing Benjamin will have on him. If you read the speech, the word father is used 14 times. And Judah expresses how their father will be brought down to Sheol. That he will experience all kind of torment and evil if Benjamin is lost. And then Judah even says this. He says, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. He says, Lord, take me. 
rather than Benjamin. I will give myself up in place of my brother. Judah is willing to take the place of Benjamin. Judah is willing to sacrifice himself for a brother who's loved more than he is. And this speech is motivated by a deep empathy for his father. What a transformation that's happening in Judah's heart. Because if we went back to Genesis 37, we would notice that Judah is the one who suggested to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place. And now he is suggesting to sacrifice himself in place of another. Reconciliation is happening and Judah is leading the way for his family to come back together. God works even in the harshest of people. God transforms even the hardest of hearts. And if Judah can be transformed, so can you. You aren't too sinful. Your situation or circumstance is not too big. Whatever you went before the Lord last week and confronted your sin, which I hope that you did and continue to do, it's not too much. It's not too big. God reconciles all, and God is moving this family toward reconciliation. And this is where the chapter ends. We don't actually get to see Joseph's response at the end of chapter 44. We're left with a cliffhanger. If this were a movie, you know, this would be, you know, part one and part two. It would, it would um, leave us feeling like on the edge of our seat, ready to know what's going to happen. And honestly, these two chapters in Genesis, they kind of feel like a game. I know most of us in here knows what happens next because we're familiar with the story. But if we weren't, if this was the first time we've heard it and, and someone was sharing it with us, the narrator is a, doing a great job of keeping us on our toes unsure of what's about to come next because joseph keeps vacillating between being harsh and full of compassion is he simply testing his brothers for honesty or is he wanting to get revenge is god telling him what to do or is it his own human impulse the commentator gordon winham writes this he says, by failing to explain Joseph's conduct explicitly, the narrator leaves the reader to surmise and fill the gap himself. And this allows the creation of a multidimensional image of Joseph. In short, Joseph was human. And all too often as we read the biblical story, we tend to idealize all of its characters. We forget that they were fallen, broken, weak human beings. And if you're like me, throughout this series, you probably thought, there's no way I could be Joseph. There's no chance that I could ever be Joseph. How does he keep getting back up from all the pain and all the hurt? How does he keep persevering through the failed dreams? How does he not doubt? How does he not get angry? How does he have so much wisdom? I need you to remember Joseph was human too. 
I'm sure he felt anger from violence and slavery and condemnation. There's no doubt he was lonely in prison and questioned God. And I bet there were pieces of him that loved imprisoning his brothers. I know I would after what they did to, if they did that to me. And I'm sure there's all sorts of other human emotion that the narrator doesn't let us in on. But guess what? God works through it all. God works through human sin and weakness as well as strength and righteousness. God works through human weakness and sin as well as human strength and righteousness. And you know what? He probably works through human weakness more than anything else. Jesus said, my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul proclaimed, when I am weak, then I am strong. Dort, you can be human. You can be weak. Because that's where God does his best work. You can live in the tension of being made from dust, yet being an image bearer created by the breath of God at the same time. God works through and purposes everything for your good and his glory. We just sang it. So you can take heart. Your weakness and pain, your suffering, your failed dreams, your weird little quirks, God is there. God is redeeming it all. God is purposing it all. God's grace Grace is sufficient for all. You can be human. And I think that's the point the narrator is trying to convey. Joseph was human, and you can be too. And we can ask all day long, what were Joseph's motivations? But I wonder if the better question is, if I were Joseph, what would be my motivation? I think the narrator is inviting us into examining ourselves. So this week, that's the question I want you to ask yourselves. If I were Joseph, what would be my motivation? And as you descend into the answer, as you explore what your motivations might be, here's the follow-up question. What do I learn about myself from the way I read the story? What do I learn about myself from what my motivations might be. Here's what I learned. Maybe it's true of you. I'd want reconciliation for my family, but I'm afraid that I would want revenge even more. While at the same time knowing that I need community, that I need my family. But honestly, I don't know if I would pursue them. And I'm afraid that instead I might keep them at a distance because of my hurt and pain, and resentment. I do that with people even now. I learn that I'm human and dependent on God for reconciliation, and I can't do it on my own. 
But that is where our hope is. Because the story of Joseph does not depend on the prowess of the characters, but on the presence of God. Your dreams, your longings, your wants, your desires, your hopes, your needs do not depend on your prowess or perfection. They depend on the presence and providence of God. Does not depend on you. It depends on God, Emmanuel. God with us, that's his name. God is with you in your beauty and brokenness. And so wherever you are in this moment, God is with you. Purposing it all. Every bit of it. It's not wasted, it's renewed. It's not thrown away, it's restored. It's not crushed, it is redeemed. You are reconciled. So this week, I invite you to ask those two questions. If I were Joseph, what would be my motivation? And once you explore that, what do you learn about yourself from the answer? And whatever the answer, God is with you. Redeeming, restoring, and renewing. That's what he does. So God, I thank you for this place. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would examine our motivations this week and that you would reveal what the answer is and would you meet us in that place and shape and form us in your image. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive this blessing? And I invite you, if, if you need prayer for any reason, I know the last couple weeks we've talked about sin, we've talked about hurt, we've talked about weakness, we'd love to pray for you. Um, so there will be some staff, faculty, students up here that want to pray for you. So as you leave, receive this blessing. When you are weak, you are strong. Because God's grace is sufficient for you. So as you leave this place, be weak. Receive God's grace. Go in peace.